With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a four-time Bathurst winner and a giant of Australian motorsport. Garth Tander is a multiple championship winning driver with a glittering resume that includes the 2007 V8 Supercars title. These days, he drives cars some weekends and talks about them on others. Garth, hello and welcome. Uh, G'day, thanks for having me. So yours has been a life spent in the fast lane, literally. What's your life look like in 2022? Um, still involved in the fast lane, but probably not actively driving in the fast lane as much anymore. Um, as you said there, um, not racing full-time anymore. I stopped racing full-time in the Supercars Championship back at the end of 2018. And then last year joined the um, the Supercars Media TV crew. So um, was involved with the television broadcast and we'll continue to do that going forward. So as you said, talk about race cars on some weekends, drive race cars on other weekends. Um, and yeah, still going to race tracks a lot as well. So uh, motorsport is certainly still the main priority. And parent on every weekend. So you're based in Melbourne these days with the family. Your wife, Leanne, raced, of course, which we'll get to in a moment. But your two kids are in the carts now, aren't they? Seb, who's eight or turning eight and Scarlett, who's 10. Yeah, that's right. They um, they started uh, pretty much as soon as they were able to. So you can start practicing when you're six. And uh, and Scarlett started first uh, as soon as she turned six and then um, started racing when she was seven. And same for Sebastian. Started when he was practicing when he was six and started racing when he was seven. But all the COVID stuff we've had here, particularly in Victoria over the last couple of years with all the lockdowns, they've sort of been quite sporadic for them. They haven't really been able to get much of a run at it. Um, it'd be the same for many kids in many different sports. Doesn't matter whether it's karting or football or cricket or whatever it might be that kids have been trying to do for the last couple of years. Um, haven't had that consistency. So, um, been smashing the cart tracks over the summer now that Victoria is somewhat open for business and um, and getting back into it and been thoroughly enjoying that as well. How does dad go trackside? Dad gets more nervous with the kids' races than he does with his own just because, um, you know, you want them to do well and you want them to um, achieve their goals, whatever they may be. Um, they're both at different sort of levels. Um, although Scarlett's doing, been doing it for a bit longer, she's in an, in a, a, an older bra- age bracket and that's a pretty tough competition. And she's quite a conservative individual. So she sort of holds back a little bit. So her goals are a little bit different to Sebastian's, who's um, very much bull at a gate, just send it and see what happens type of kids. So um, (laughs) just you get more nervous about them. You get more nervous about making sure that they, you know, 
achieve what they want to achieve and hope that it all goes well for them. No fear at that age, is there? Uh, that comes later on no, in life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know you've been in the commentary box for a while now, Garth, but is, I don't know if there's something you've found and you've adjusted to or it's a work in progress, but is there a sensitivity that comes from having raced with and against the guys that you're now expected to you know, analyse without fear or favour in the commentary box? Yeah, look, finding that balance was probably a little bit, tricky early doors when I started in TV um, because you know when you see someone do something really really cool that's easy because you can you can celebrate that when you're talking with them afterwards or interviewing them or even just describing that incident when you're calling the race live that's that's easy and and I really enjoy watching that but when you see someone do something that maybe they shouldn't have and critiquing them post event or post race on TV I've been on the other side of that and cop that ret- critique and and so being you know, a little bit sensitive and a little bit um understanding of you know not everything works 100% of the time not every move that a race car driver makes will be correct 100% of the time and um just asking about the mindset of you know why you thought that might happen and things like that so being a little bit sensitive to that but ultimately it's my job to call it as it is and call it as I see it and if I see something that needs to be called out then that's my job and I'll do it. Haven't had any uh, clear the air conversations in, in pit lane in the aftermath, have you? No, not yet. Okay, not yet. Good. So I must be going okay. No one's come and grabbed me and said, why did you talk to me about that? Or why did you say that? I haven't had that yet. So yeah. so that's a good that's a good thing, I think. And we, we should point out, I mean, you are still getting behind the wheel, aren't you? Alongside Shade Van Gisbergen at Triple Eight Race Engineering. But educate us. Is it only Bathurst now? Is that your only item on the calendar? Yeah. Yeah, in the supercar. Yeah, yep. that's the only race you do now. So there's... You know, years gone by, we used to have the traditional Sandown 500 curtain raiser before Bathurst, and then we obviously the Bathurst 1000, and then we also used to have the Gold Coast race, which was a two-driver race as well. So there used to be three co-driver races in the championship, but um, when COVID hit, that got knocked right back to just Bathurst, and and that's how it's been for the last couple of years, and that's how it'll be this year. So just pull the suit on in the supercar for the one race at the Bathurst 1000 which is not a bad race to do. If you're going to do one race a year, Bathurst is not a bad one. Indeed. So, um, yeah, look, it's a great team. Sharing the car with Shane's great. He's obviously at the top of his game at the moment in form. We're the same size, like almost to the millimetre. So we can jump in the car and, and both of us are comfortable. And, you know, we both like pretty much the same thing from the from the setup of the car. So we like to drive the car the same way. So it's a really good relationship. It's really easy and really enjoyable. You might have scaled back, but you're not immune from the heartbreak of it all, eh? I mean, last year's Bathurst 1000, gee, and that ending with Shane was proof of that. Reigning champs, I think you were second with maybe seven laps yeah. to go before it all went wrong. So, I mean, you might only be doing one supercars race on the calendar, but you're you're right on the edge as much as you've ever been, aren't you, with the, the ecstasy and the agony. It's, so, it's such a fine line. Yeah, look, the competitive streak doesn't go away even if you're only doing a couple of races a year and when you're in a good opportunity or good position that deep into the race particularly at Bathurst and it gets taken away from you it stings a little bit but in reality we were probably only really interested in winning the race like Shane had already clinched the championship so that was important for the team that's a year's work that they had you know built and it was important that they had won the championship so they'd done that prior to Bathurst Shane had won the championship prior to Bathurst so we went very much into last year's Bathurst with a just win it put it all on the nose mate like we're here to win the race we're we won it the year prior we feel like we're a good good chance you know we're good car good speed good combination we know each other well so yeah, look, it was, you know, it would have been nice to be on the podium. Did it change my life a lot on Monday morning when I woke up that we finished 18th instead of second? No, not really. So, um, yeah, look, it was devastating at the time, but, you know, you move on pretty quickly. 
How much longer do you think you can balance the two? The, the dry, even if it is just the one race at Supercars on the calendar and the commentary, can you do it for, for for not forever, but can you do it for the long term or do you think it's on borrowed time? Oh, look, it's definitely got a, it's got a timeline on it and it's got a an end date. So you, you can't race, you know, very, very sporadically forever because, you know, where my advantage is as a co-driver is I've got 22 odd years of full-time experience in my back pocket and I can call on that and I can still, my speed is still good. So I can use my, have my experience and I still have my speed, but ultimately your speed starts to leave you because the less time you spend in the race car, particularly a supercar, the more your speed starts to go away. And that happens more and more, just slightly, but more and more and more every year that you're not a full-time competitor. Um, And then also as my TV work becomes um, bigger and bigger and that role becomes more and more going forward, there'll be a crossover point where I'll, I'll have to say, right, I need to really now just, you know, Bathurst is the biggest race of the year. It's got the most eyeballs on it from a TV perspective. Um, so at some point, I have to stop being a race car driver and, and just solely be in the TV world. So when that is, I'm not too sure yet. Um, we'll go for maybe another year or two and then decide after that. Uh, look, I, I wouldn't have a clue, but I'd imagine that that buzz, that adrenaline that comes from getting behind the wheel and doing what you do, that must be incredibly addictive. Is it hard to is it hard to drop? It is. It is. It's certainly the adrenaline is a very addictive uh, thing. It's very, very um, tantalizing. It always sucks you back in. It's a bit like golf. You know, when you play golf and you'll play 17 holes and you'll play terribly and you always nail the 18th hole. You always hit it straight down the middle. You'll putt it out and you'll hit, it, hit a birdie and go, oh, well, I'll come back next week. And that's what driving the race cars like. You'll go, oh, yeah, no, maybe you know, 22, 23 odd years. I may have, you know, that might be time to put the cue in the rack. And then you'll drive the race car at Bathurst and you go, yeah, that was pretty cool. I want to do that again. So, um, you know, that adrenaline, that that team culture, that team environment um, is very, very addictive and very, very um, enjoyable. And something that I've always enjoyed about motorsport is the team environment and how the whole team works together for the result. So uh, when you get back in that environment, it's um, it's a very enjoyable place to be, very satisfying place to be. You're listening to This Is Your Journey, and it's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, Garth Tander takes us west and to the beginning of his amazing journey. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. March 31st, 1977. Memories of childhood? Very, very Australiana. My parents were working class. Dad was a house painter. My mum was a theatre nurse. We didn't have... You know, bag loads of money, just um, suburbia, Perth. Um, Dad was always involved in motorsport. His friends, as a, from a, from a young age, from his teen years, he was always around motorsport, particularly Speedway in the early days um, back in Perth. As a, as a his fan, his friends would race. Pardon, as a fan or as a did he participate? No, as a, more as a mechanic. So yep. his his mates were racing, and he would go along and help out. 
So although he was a house painter by trade, he was very mechanically minded, well, still is. And um, so he's always hands-on working on sort of race cars from his teen years and all the way through. And then my earliest memory I can remember as a kid was there was always race cars in the shed at home. Dad would be working on race cars, you know, in his spare time after work or on weekends and things like that. So growing up, I was always going to the racetrack. I was always going to the Speedway in Perth, Claremont Speedway. I was always going up to Wanneroo Raceway. I think I first went to Wanneroo Raceway when I was about 18 months old. Um, Dad was working on race cars up there. So mm. every time there was a race meeting on up there, I'd be up there. And um, and then when I played AFL footy as a kid, before the days of Auskick and stuff. So growing up, you know, under sevens, under eights, all the way through. Broke my arm twice playing footy and then started racing go-karts when I was eight and a half. And um, even mum thought, well, geez, so far karting safer than football because he hasn't broken <laughs> any bones yet in karting. Yeah, that's right. And I got to about 12 and I used to play footy on Saturday mornings and then karting on Sunday. And um, about 12 or 13, the footy comp changed from Saturday mornings to Sunday mornings. And I had to make a decision, do I keep playing footy or do I keep racing go-karts? And decided at that point, I want to go race go-karts and keep doing that. So you think back in your life about decisions that you make and you don't realise that even at that early age, um, you know, making that decision when I was 12 or 13, yeah. um, you know, ultimately led to where I am here today because if I kept playing footy, I doubt I would have played AFL, but um, I definitely probably wouldn't have kept racing carts and I wouldn't have ended up where I end up now. Your very first race in a cart, you won it, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, I did. I did, but you don't read the fine print. No. The fine print was there was only two yeah. there was only two of us and the other kid spun out. <laughs> so the result sheets says That's all yes, about Tanner won his first race, but there is fine print. But you never ever ever read the fine print. You never read the fine print. <laughs> now this was at the Tiger Cart Club, wasn't it? So were you one who, you know, um not to embarrass you here, were you were you a natural? Were there instinctive gifts within you, do you think, at that age? Or was it consistently hard work to fight for everything um i don't know um well when i very very first started in carts i started on the dirt because of dad's speedway sort of connection so i started on the dirt and the cart was always moving around a lot And there's a little cart club out in an industrial suburb of perth that's cart tracks long gone now and um that was a dirt they're called dirt trackers cart club and um and i learned when I was eight or so that the cart moving around on the dirt sliding around and that felt quite comfortable to me so then when I did move to the bitumen and move to more of the big time if you like on in karting at the tiger cart club it probably was a bit more natural it did feel you know I had more time because the cart didn't slide so much I could just concentrate on going fast so um yeah I think so I think I was natural um, but I never really had to think about it too much. You know, I, I sort of was always fast, I guess. Um, and I guess that came from, you know, uh, starting early and having that sort of dirt track background. So growing up, was it, um, you know, uh, Glenn Jakovic on the wall, uh, Craig Turley, or was it a, was it at Ayrton Senna? Was it a, who was on the wall? Who was the, your idol sporting wise growing up? Motorsport, footy, whatever it might be. Oh, motorsport. It was, um, it was Ayrton Senna. Yeah. And Jim Richards actually, um, from in Australia. Uh, and then, yeah, I was an Eagles supporter. So, uh, it was Peter Matera actually. Right. Was the, um, it was the man, the fast winger. Yep. He used to run down the wing and kick massive goals. 
miles from out on the 50 arc, left and right foot. So uh, big Peter Matera fan. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I had those posters on the wall, and um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, I ever ever only ever got one autograph at the racetrack as a kid. You used to obviously go to up to Wanneroo Raceway when the when the touring car championship came to town, and it was Jim Richards, Jim Richards autograph, which is funny now because I'm very very good mates with Steve Richards, yeah. who lives ten minutes from here, and I'll often catch up with Jim for a beer every now and then. So it's funny how where the world takes you eventually. And they say never meet your heroes, but it'll be different in Jim's case. Oh, yeah. oh mate, definitely. I mean, that was still, you know, stars in your eyes yeah. type deal and, um, and, uh, and excuse me, Mr. Richards, can I get your autograph and all that sort of stuff? Um, and yeah, I mean, Richo's, Richo's a legend. He was a legend then and he's even more of a legend now. So by the time he's 17, you won seven Western Australian state karting titles. I think one national title as well, a number of regional mm. titles. So you're traveling far and wide to race. You enroll at the fast lane racing driving school, don't you? And um, it's a bit like your first day in the carts. You said a pretty, uh, a pretty impressive impression off the bat there too, didn't you? Well, you've done your research well. Um, yeah, yeah. Now that went um, really well. So the natural progression out of karting is into Formula Ford, which are small single seat open wheeler type things. So they're only powered by a 1600cc Ford engine. So they're only about 110, 115 horsepower, um, but only weigh 500 kilos with a driver sitting in it. So that's the natural progression uh, after carts. And in Perth, there was and still is uh, um, a Formula Ford driving school. So we went and did that to see if I was any good at it. And uh, yeah, that went well. Um, uh, Won the day and uh, set a new lap record, I think, at the school on the... um, at the time, which was a big deal. And um, so then that sort of put my parents in a bit of a quandary or dilemma, if you like, because we could sort of afford the whole karting thing reasonably well. Like I said, my parents were working class. We didn't, we, you know, certainly weren't millionaires by any stretch, but we could sort of do the karting thing adequately funding wise. But Formula Ford was a whole another level as far as funding it. But once dad realized that I was sort of somewhat capable at that level, then um, he had to go paint some more houses, I guess. So, yeah. um, and then we started on the Formula Ford journey. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because the education, if you like, because unlike other sports, the budget, the finances, they, they, they are the difference often between, uh, you know, make or break with the career, you know. And, and with you stepping into this, it might have opened some doors, but um, motorsport's unique in that sense, isn't it? If you don't have the, the finances, you, you can't make it happen, really. No, 100%. And that's, it's often said that there will be 100, in, you know, if you think about Europe, there'll be 100 Ayrton Senna's or 100 Michael Schumacher's or 100 Lewis Hamilton's that will go unnoticed during their time because they don't have the funding mm. to get themselves in the right position to make the next step. And it's the same here in Australia. There'll be, you know, there'll be, there would have been a, you know, 50, 75, 80 Jamie Winkups that never got the opportunity to race in supercars because they didn't have the funding to get into, you know, out of karting into Formula Ford or from Formula Ford to the next step or, you know, to continue to make those jumps. I mean, there's a young Formula One Australian hopeful in Europe at the moment, Oscar Piastri, who is right on right on the cusp of being in Formula One or will likely be in Formula One next year and has yep. done an amazing job, won every championship that he needed to win to put himself in the shop window to be a Formula One driver. But he has never needed to spend north of $25 million Australian to put himself in the shop window that he might get chosen to be a Formula One driver. So there's not a lot of people that have that sort of money available to them to just give yourself a chance that maybe you'll get picked. Um, so that's, like you say, that's where motorsport's a bit unique and um, and it requires a lot of um, benefactors to help you know, drivers get to where they, you know, feel they want to be. 
And just staying with that, I mean, you signed with Fastlane Racing, didn't you? In 97, you, you find yourself yeah. battling for the Formula Ford Championship. I think you won seven of your first eight races. And, and that was critical in itself because you're on a limited budget at the time. And I think Bunnings came to the rescue, didn't they? And, yeah. and propped you up. And the rest is history. You, you took the championship. Well, we weren't even going to do the whole championship that year. The, the deal was Formula Ford were part of the um, Australian Grand Prix support races at Albert Park. So Formula Ford, and so we were like, oh, yeah, let's go and do that Albert Park race. That'll be really cool. You know, we might be able to help, you know, start some sponsorship discussions for the 98 championship. And then we found out the first round of the Australian Formula Ford championship was in Melbourne the week before. So we're like, oh, well, we can kill two birds with one stone here. We can do round one of the, the Australian championship at Calder, which is just up the road. And then we could stay in Melbourne, do the Formula Ford support race at the Grand Prix. And we, you know, we'll get two races for, for one trip effectively. So we went over and we won put it on pole and won the first won the, the first round of the Formula Ford Championship at Calder. And we're like, oh, that's great. That was cool. And then we sort of, I think we put it on pole and we won two of the three races or something like that at Albert Park, which was not a points paying race, but it was all the big guns were still there. And we're like, geez, we started pretty well here. And the next round was in Victoria well at Phillip Island. So we're like, oh, maybe if we just leave the car here in Victoria and we'll come back next month and we'll do the Phillip Island race and we'll see how we go. So we did that and we had family here in Melbourne. So we left the car at their place and then flew back and did the race at Phillip Island. And we won there too. And we're like, geez, now we're leading the championship. We've got to keep going. We can't sort of give this opportunity up. That'd be shocking. So we got two thirds of the way through the year and we were leading the championship and, and we'd shaken all the tree uh, tins and rattled all the trees and there was no money left. And through Fastlane, one of their customers was, and don't forget, this is before Bunnings were Bunnings, what we know now. This is Bunnings were only just in WA and they were just a hardware chain. So they weren't the big warehouse thing that they are now. But one of the Fastlane customers was like Bunnings' third biggest customer in Western Australia. Like they bought a heap of stuff and they put the pressure on Bunning, say, hey, you guys need to sponsor this kid. He's doing really good things. He's winning all these races on the East Coast. And that was right at the time that Bunnings were starting the expansion into the Eastern States. And they just opened the first warehouse store at Nunawadding, which is still there. And um, so they're like, oh, yeah, well, we can do it. Yeah, that, yeah, all right, we'll do it. So they sponsored me for the last three races. And that was what enough to get us over the line to to win the championship so um still the only driver that was ever sponsored directly by bunnings so uh so that's pretty cool they don't do sponsorships of individuals they do you know leagues and bits and pieces and community start stuff but we got got lucky right place right time indeed here with this is your journey it's brought to you by tobin brothers funeral celebrating lives you can visit them at tobinbrothers.com.au well the doors are open and garth tander's supercars career is about to take flight that's after this break you're listening to this is your journey with sam edmund for tobin brothers funerals visit tobinbrothers.com.au tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. This week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with 2007 Supercars champion Garth Tander. So, Garth, where we left off, after the 97 Formula Ford Triumph, you're on the sidelines in 98, but you get a Supercars call-up, don't you, for Gary Rogers Motorsport. And it's the fourth event of the 98 season at Phillip Island. Can you take us there? Yeah, well, I mean, it was sort of a unique way to get a call up. Um, at that stage, we'd run out of money for 98. We had no no funding to make the next step into the next category. So I was working for Fastlane Racing as a race car mechanic 
and a driver instructor and just hoping that maybe I'll get a co-driver at the endurance races at the end of the year type deal. And then Stephen Richards, who was driving for Gary Rogers Motorsport in the V8 Championship, got an opportunity to go to the UK and race for Nissan in the British Touring Car Championship. So after the third round, Steve just packed his bags and left and got took this opportunity, which you would because at that stage, the British Touring Car Championship was massive. It was huge. So you'd take that chance and go. And so Steve sort of left this hole in at Gary Rogers Motorsport and I was fortunate that the year before when I won the Formula Ford Championship, Valvoline, who sponsored Gary Rogers Motorsport, also used to sponsor a Formula Ford and the Valvoline Formula Ford in the championship that I beat was Marcus Ambrose. So Gary was knew that I was fast because he would always pay attention to the Valvoline Formula Ford and I'd beaten Marcus for that. Marcus was racing in Europe at that stage. So he gave me a call and said, hey, um, would you be interested in driving my supercar next weekend at Phillip Island for round four? And I thought it was my mates taking the piss. I'd never spoken to Gary before in my life. I didn't know what he sounded like on the phone. I was like, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, no drama. Send the business class jet over and we'll, we'll do it. And he said, no, 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 legit. No, no, I want you to come and drive the race car. And I was like, starting to go, oh, maybe this is serious. I better straighten up. And um, I was like, yeah, of course I would, mate. I dropped everything. So um, I think that phone call was on the Wednesday, the, the week and a half before Phillip Island. I was on the plane the next day, Thursday, from Perth to Melbourne. We tested at Winton that Friday. So they wanted to test me to see if I could drive the car and do all that. Did the test and they called me. I went into Gary's office on Monday morning and he said, right, you're racing at Phillip Island next weekend. It's on. And away we went. You qualified 16th, I think, next to a bloke some people yep. might have heard of, just a small-timer by the name of Dick Johnson. But w- what happened at the start, though? Stalled it. So <laughs> so there was there was 40-odd cars on the grid. So qualified 16th, just at the back of all the pros, if you like. And uh, that was okay. Team were happy with that. I've never done a start before. So you think I was used to starting a 500-kilo, 110-horsepower Formula Ford, and now you've got to start this 1,400-kilo, 600-horsepower supercar, and I've never done it before. So the way you used to have to start back then was you'd have to go 100% throttle and up on the rev limiter, and they'd be making so much noise. They're just banging and crashing and carrying on. And I'm like, up on the rev limiter, that's what the team told me to do. I'm like, oh, this sounds terrible. So I back right off the throttle. And then dumped the clutch and didn't have enough didn't have enough engine in it. Dumped the clutch, stalled it. So I was last to the last. Luckily, I didn't get hit from behind because there was still twenty five odd cars behind me. Mm. Uh, so luckily, got going, got to the first corner. I was last at the first corner, and I think I finished. I don't know, eighteenth, twentieth, something like that. So I got half the way back to where I should have been. I love it. I love it. But you do enough, <laughs> though. You do enough. You impress enough people, and you get the contract with Gary. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I was I was on a race by race deal in ninety eight. So that was round four. And back then there probably was, you know, another five or six races till the end of the year. So it was a race by race deal. So I put a lot of pressure on myself each weekend. I go, oh, I've got to impress this weekend. I've got to do the job, you know, and I probably tried a bit too hard and I crashed into a few people and upset a few of the old stages and, and probably didn't make a great impression early on. But that was just because I was, I was trying way too hard. And um, because this was an opportunity, that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I was trying to make the most of it. But thankfully, Gary saw through all that and saw that I was, you know, fast enough, just needed to settle down a little bit and gave me, like you said, gave me a contract. And once I got that sort of solidarity of having a 12-month contract in my back pocket, I settled down a little bit and um, and got into it properly and started 99, you know, much better than the way we drove in 98. And much better again in 2000, where it all clicks, doesn't it? I mean, you and Jason Bargwana, to win Bathurst, what did it mean to you? Can you take us back? Oh, how vivid is it in the memory to win on the mountain? And what an achievement that must have been for you at that, that, that stage of your career. Well, I was, I was 23 when we won. 
So I was the second youngest to have won the race at that stage behind Lowndes. And I think it was only a couple of months difference when Lowndes won it the first time as far as age goes. And it was the first time I'd ever, ever finished the Bathurst 1000. So 98, I crashed out. 99, our car was involved in someone else's crash and we got caught up in it. So I'd never finished the race. So as a 23-year-old, you're, you're still pretty brash and you're still pretty confident. So I just sort of thought at the time, well, geez, all you got to do is finish this thing and you're half a chance. Um, it's only till you know, four, five, six years later that you realise how much Bathurst can kick your ass, that you realise how fortunate you were to, to have won it. You know, the first time I'd finished the race and only your third ever start. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still, I still now, like, what is it, 23, 24 odd Bathurst starts? I still remember sitting on the couch with my old man back in Perth early morning, tuning in to watch the race. And that was, the, that's my memories of Bathurst. It's not actually, you know, doing it. It's, it's being the kid growing up, watching it, watching Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Larry Perkins, Jim Richards, all those guys do the thing that, that, you know, I have been fortunate enough to do. So it's very special. It's very, very special. And you take the championship that year to the last, the last race, was it not? You had to settle for second behind Mark Scaife in the end, but did you feel like you mentioned how brash you were at that age and we all are, but that you'd truly arrived? Yeah. No, I thought, um, I thought, ah, you know, especially on that Sunday night, you know, just won Bathurst and going into that race in 2000, Bathurst was the last round of the championship. I had to win it to win the championship for me to win the championship. I had to win the race and Scaifey had to finish 13th or worse or something like that. Mm. So it was still a bit of a long shot in reality for me to win it, to win the championship. And because the first thing you got, you got to win Bathurst. That's not, that's not easy. So when we crossed the line, I was like, oh yes, we won the race. And that was awesome. And then like, it was like a minute later, I was still driving the car back to, to the podium. And I said, oh, yeah, where'd Scafie finish? Because I'd realised they'd had dramas through the race. I know they'd had some dramas. And they said, oh, no, nah, he finished eight. So you're second in the championship. But, oh, yeah, it's cool. And at that point, I'm like, well, I've just won Bathurst. I've just finished second in the championship. We're going to win everything next year. Because, like I say, you're 23, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And, you know, you've just had success. Um, and it's then that you realise that, um, you know, you feel like you're invincible. And then, you know, we had a couple of years post 2000 that weren't real strong. And you realize that this is not easy, this game. It's not, it's not, it's always not, doesn't always go as it's written in the script. There's always a few curveballs and you've got to, you know, you've got to take, take the success when it comes your way, but be prepared to do the real hard work when it gets hard and put, you know, roll your sleeves up a bit and, at that stage, I probably hadn't understood that fully. Yeah, well, you were about to because I imagine there's some pretty harsh lessons. I think it was 10th, 10th and 12th in each of the next three years when it comes to the championship. There were mechanical issues in 04 as well. You were te- 11th. So how did it go south at Gary Rogers Motorsport for you, do you think? And, and what led to the departure for the the newly renamed HSV dealer team? Oh, look, I think at GRM in that period, the team had gone through this massive growth period and I was part of that and development period because even when I joined in 98, that was the first year that the team had run two cars in the championship. So, you know, gone from running two cars in the championship and they were buying their cars. Then we were buying cars from other teams. We weren't building our own cars. And then in 99, we started building our own cars. 2000 obviously had a great year. Then at the end of 2000, the team expanded into the development series as well. So the team was growing rapidly. And I think potentially the team grew too quickly, too fast. And, you know, we... We weren't, um, we weren't staffed adequately enough to do what we needed to do. And the other teams at this point, right at this point, you know, from late 90s, early 2000s, the Supercars Championship went from this sort of semi-professional championship to a fully 
full-grown championship. It was the, really the seed of what the championship is now. It was that period. And I don't think at GRM we really, you know, got on that bandwagon at the right time. It took us probably another two or three years to understand, hey, this we need this level of staffing, we need this level of funding, we need this level of technical expertise. We're probably still in that mid-90s business case rather than you know growing and in adapting with the times so let's skip to 2007 which i mean obviously must be the stuff of dreams i'd imagine so for all that to go into the mix you're around 30 years of age you've got a, a far greater perspective on the sport and it's it's pitfalls and it's potholes and everything to win the supercars championship after uh, obviously goes down to the wire with jamie wink up did that did that feel like the culmination of a, of a lifetime's work from those days watching bathurst on the couch with the old man to win the championship must have been huge. Oh, it was huge. Absolutely huge. That was really surreal feeling that, um, you know, seven years after finished second in the championship and thinking that I'm going to win it mm. the following year in 2001 and then going through all the trials and tribulations, changing teams and actually leading the championship for most of 2006 and then not getting the chocolates that year to have the year that we had in 2007 when we won, you know, 16-odd races and and pretty much dominated the year. But it came right down to the last race with Jamie and, um, you know, there was it was on. There was all sorts of team tactics. You know, myself and Rick Kelly are in the same team and then Jamie and Craig Lowndes are in the same team and both teams are using their teammates as – it was like full chess at 200K <laughs> an hour and, you know, all sorts of politics and all the rest of it. So when you cross the line – and that surreal feeling um, that they say, yeah, yeah, they confirm, yes, yes, you've won the championship. Um, that was, yeah, it was, it was really special. It was probably more. I probably appreciate at that stage appreciated the championship more than the Bathurst win back in two thousand. Because, like I said earlier, in two thousand, I was twenty three. I was, you know, didn't really understand what was required. I was just fast and brash. Whereas in 2007, I, you know, a bit more water had gone under the bridge. I understood the work that was needed to be put in, you know, not just by me, but by the entire team, the entire organization. And the championships are a year's worth of work at, you know, 15, 13, 14, 15 weekends of work. Um, and you need to, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the AFL championship, you know, yes, you have success on that one grand final day, but it's a year's work to get to that point. And it's the same when you win the Supercars Championship. So, yeah, that was um, that was still a very – that's one of the most special days I've ever had in motorsport. And I reckon, though, with, life ex- with more life experience comes more satisfaction, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I understand, you know, having a few, you know, when I won the when I won Bathurst in 2000 and finished second, I hadn't really had any, you know, motorsport sob stories, you know, this, this continued growth to that point. And then went through this period where I knew that I was fast enough to get the job done. But, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't sort of going your way. And, and like you said, yeah, bit more life experience, a bit more understanding of, you know, what it takes to be successful in, in top level sport, you know, from your own performance um, and, you know, creating a team of people around you and getting the most out of that team of people around you, um, just understanding that more. So that's probably why it was so satisfying to win the championship because we were such a tight knit team. We worked so well together um, and the goal was very, very clear. And to achieve that goal at the end of the year was Yeah, it was huge. We're chatting to Garth Tander on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be right back with Garth after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
Thanks You're listening to This Is Your Journey, journey. with Thanks Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Better half Garth off the top. Now she raced a course and was even your rival at times, which is unbelievable. How many times did you race directly against your wife? Oh, directly, uh, four, five, six times, something like that. So the first time we raced against each other was right back in '97 when I won the Formula Four Championship. She um, she was from New South Wales, and when we when the championship went to the New South Wales races she she raced in those so um she claims it wasn't a fair fight because she just started and I'd, i was running at the front so she claims that one wasn't a fair fight um and then we did a couple of races back in 2019 in the tcr championship yeah, yeah. and then we did a toyota in the toyota 86 one make series we did a guest appearance of husband and wife deal we that, raced against each other there that, that didn't end too well though did it no it was the tcr one that didn't end well right um is this your fault that didn't end well <laughs> Well, she claims it was my fault, and I because we crashed into each other, and I crashed into her. But I was hit. I was hit from behind. So I was hit from behind, pushed into her, and then spun her out. So um, yeah, no dinner was frosty that night for sure. It was okay. very frosty. Very I was frosty. Say, Thankfully, this... the kids were around then, so they they calmed everything down. <laughs> I was going to ask, is this like when you forget to take the bins out at night? Oh, way worse than that. <laughs> way way worse. Than that. Just on that, I mean. Who was your toughest competitor? If you, you summarise your whole career, who was the one that, was it Jamie or was it, who was the one that you really felt was, if you had to name your chief rival on the grid, who would it have been that caused you the most, uh, oh. out of respect, the most stress? Yeah, early, early days, it was Marcus Ambrose. Uh, he and I raced against each other in go-karts a lot when we were kids. And then we both made that same step into Formula Ford and he was my chief rival in the Formula Ford Championship in 97 and then he went to Europe and I stayed in Australia and then into supercars yes definitely Jamie um you know I was a couple of years ahead of Jamie we're actually teammates with each other in 2003 at GRM Gary Rogers Motorsport and then when he went to Triple Eight and um and started becoming the force that he became that was sort of in the prime when I was in my prime at HSV dealer team and we had some Mm. like some serious battles like really hard hard racing that pushed each other really really to the to the to the limit um really enjoyable really clean like it wasn't dirty racing really satisfying hard racing and you knew if you'd won like if i'd beaten him in a race you knew you'd worked your ass off and and i made sure if he was going to beat me he had to work his ass off as well so it was yeah those were really satisfying times now just the on the word satisfying this is somewhat more pointed but i don't know if it's marcus or uh, or it's jamie but who did you take most satisfaction from from just passing from overtake who did you think thank god you're in my rear vision mirror and eat my dust oh early days it was paul morris cuz he was harder to pass than a kidney stone like seriously <laughs> um and and he used to he was sort of like this um schoolyard bully is not the right term yeah but if you rubbed him up like a little bit he'd rub you up massive just to say hey listen don't you race me like that i'll race you just as bad if not worse back so you knew when you got to the back of paul that you had to race clean race smart get past and then run as fast as you can so you get away from him so um it wasn't 
I didn't have any problems with him, but I was always very, very cautious when I got when I was around him. I believe they call it flexing these days, uh, Garth. Your, your kids yeah, are probably, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I think yeah. your kids would be all over that term on the carts. Hey, <laughs> it, when it comes to racing at this level, the, the highest level, is there is there any room for fear at all? No, no. And as soon as you start thinking twice about anything, it's time to give it away. So, um, you know, Bathurst is Bathurst is the is the great measure of that. Because if you go to Bathurst and you race, drive the car on the limit across the top of the mountain, the speeds, you know, across the top of the mountain at Reed Park, McPhillamy Park, the real fast stuff before you drop down over Skyline, that's 200 and, between 200 and 240k an hour across the top of the mountain, the speeds. And the concrete walls are right there. Like there's no room for error, no margin for error whatsoever. So if you're starting to second guess, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push 100% here, then give it away because you're you're going to be you're going to be slower. Your concentration is not on driving the race car. Your concentration is on what might happen if things go wrong. And um, you know, so I guess it's a bit like AFL. If you've got a, a player that's not going to put their head over the ball, it's sort of stop putting their head over the ball, then, you know, that's they're not who you want. And that's the same with drivers. As soon as you start second-guessing what might go wrong, yeah, hang the helmet up yeah. 100%. Yeah. I can't not speak to a professional race car driver and ask them what they've got in the garage. So what's the, um, what's the, what's the family car? What's your own car? What's your toy? What's in the, what's in the shed, please? Oh, it's, it's very, very pedestrian these days. So when I was driving for HSV and the Holden Racing Team, mm. I had 15-odd years of HSV company cars. So I've I've been through that phase of having all the the, the cool cars and, and all the rest of it, which was really enjoyable. But um, no, I've got a Nissan Navara diesel ute that's in the that's my daily driver because that works well. I can throw the dogs in the back and we can go for a down to the trail and go for a run, or I can hook the go-kart trailer on and we can go off on a road trip or do all sorts of things with that. I do have a toy that's in the in the garage as well. I've got Here a 1969 go. SS Chev Camaro. So that comes out on nice sunny days and we live out in the Yarra Valley in Melbourne. So um, we can go cruising out to the wineries or go grab a coffee somewhere or something like that. So yeah, I do have a Sunday car. That's, that's pretty cool. I thought you'd be holding out on me if you didn't say you had a toy in the back there somewhere. And is there actually, is there one that remains on the wish list, Garth? I don't know. Maybe a, when you finally do pull the pin uh, in the entirety, is there some sort of a retirement present? Um, not road car related. No, I don't think so. Um, I would like to one day try and get hold of my 2007 Supercars Championship winning car. And that that is around. It's in the hands of collectors at the moment. So um, I tried to buy it because, you know, with race cars, race scenes just sell them. There's no real sentimental value with race cars at the time that you're using them. It's only, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later that you have this attachment and this sort of desire to re-get hold of it again. So. Yeah. Um, the team sold the race car when I'd finished with it in 2007 and the team that had bought it was Lucas Dumbrell's Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. And, um, and I said to Lucas, you know, a couple of years later when he still had the car, I said, Oh, I'll buy it back off you one day. And I was trying to do a deal with him trying to every year he'd ring me around December time and say, do you want to buy the car? And I'd say, yeah, 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 I'll give you 150 grand. And then I'd just drop 10 grand off it every year. In the end, I didn't buy it. And it went to a collector and got restored and all the rest of it. And, um, I reckon now that car wouldn't would change hands for north of six seven hundred grand. So I'm really kicking myself that I didn't buy it off Lucas back at the what? time because I'll have to win lotto to justify buying that car back. Oh, <laughs> but uh, it'd be a nice one to have in the shed. So where is it? Where's it? Where's it located? It's in Queensland. So collectors in Queensland have it. Uh, I know where it is. I know the owners. Um, they've actually asked if I want to go and have a drive of it one day, which 100 percent I will. So. 
Um, maybe if after I drive it and they see how much I'm beaming when I get out of the out of the seat, they might take pity on me and do me a, a cheap deal. But I don't think so. Puppy dog eyes, mate. Puppy dog eyes. Hey, Garth, yep. thanks for joining us today, mate. So many great memories. You have been an icon of the grid and certainly four-time Bathurst winner does look resplendent on the resume. You've lived a life in motorsport, and I think we're fortunate now that you're sharing your insights with viewers uh, across the country like you are. And it sounds like we might need to keep an eye on the next generation of Tanda drivers as well. So best of luck for the future, mate. Cheers. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'll have to keep working to pay for the karting because the kids, (laughs) that's going to keep going forever, I think. So uh, I'll be around for a while yet. Cheers. Great stuff, mate. All the best. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.